Hey, what's going on? It's Kyle George. This is Rodney Harris. And you are listening to A Different Angle. What's going on, bro, bro? Man, not much. Slow week. Yeah? A lot of going on here in the station. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, when we have these shows, it, it really brightens up my week. And I'm really excited to have this time to kind of open up and let some things off the chest. Yeah. Had a great great show right before us with Kathleen Francis. Yes, sir. And Wise Woman. Doing, she's doing such a tremendous job and really growing and um, growing an audience and she's doing amazing things. So yeah, for sure. I um, definitely love love hearing her right before us and it gives makes me puts me in good spirits. Right, well, always puts me in good right. spirits. And and thank you for always promoting us, Kathleen. We appreciate it too. Uh, man, so today is going to be very interesting because we're talking about something that. I don't think it's spoken about enough. Uh, today is all about eating disorders. And later we will have one of my closest friends, one of my best friends in the whole world on the show, um, to talk about her experience with eating disorders, amongst other things. But right now, it's just going to be you and me, man. Um, I'm going to start it off like this. Where do you feel like a lot of people have difficulty when it comes to eating disorders, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, the w- whether it's bringing it back up. I'm sorry to put it that way. That's the only way I could think about it right now or consuming. It's. Well, first of all, we want to say I want to say that it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, given the people that I know that have struggled with um with either anorexia or, mm-hmm. or even it also could be the opposite, completely opposite for somebody like myself mm-hmm. who is addicted to food and has a food addiction right. um, that is considered a disorder. So there's people that can eat too much and eat too little. Um, for the people that I can speak on, the people that eat too much, but for the ones that I know that eat too little, it's more of having to look at themselves every day and have to live with themselves like, I eat that, I know I don't want to eat that. All of a sudden, it comes back up, mm-hmm. you know, for people that overeat like myself, it's accessibility. It's availability. It's there in your face. And you're doing it because you're not hungry. You're doing it because you can. Right. And you're doing it to pass time. Yeah. Some of us eat because we're bored. There's nothing else to do, so I'm just going to eat. And, you're, and your stomach can take it. But I, you you shouldn't be eating until the point where you feel like your stomach's about to explode. Right. Um, but for for me, that's a normal thing. It just, that's what I do. Yeah. And it took me a long time to understand that about myself. Um, and it's definitely gotten progressively worse over the years. Mm-hmm. But um, you learn to live with it. You learn to take it day by day. You, yeah. get, you get the right coach behind you and the right trainer behind you to help you make those changes. Yeah. I, some recommendations, I do definitely recommend someone talking to a nutritionist. Mm-hmm. I d- definitely recommend that you also seek psychological help. Right. Um, because it is a lot mental. Mm-hmm. It's not about the physical aspect. That's just one part because you really have – most of us that are heavy don't step on scales. We don't look at each other, look at ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. And most of us have been at peace that, with, hey, man, I'm big, I'm big, I'm going to be big for the rest of my life. It right. is what it is. But – it's up here. It's up inside your head, and it plays with you. Mm-hmm. And food is your coping mechanism. When you're mad, eat. Yeah. When you're sad, eat. When you're happy, eat. When you know it, it is a 
a crutch and there's some things that you have to just accept about it that people around you too can be your your own worst enemy. Yeah. They will enable you and they will allow you to do what you're doing. Basically eat yourself alive. Right. So you have to be real mindful of that. The company you keep, the availability and the opportunities that you have to do some to to consume. Yeah. So I say find some things to do. Mm-hmm. Um some hobbies. I, I one of the, my favorite things I love to do sometimes is I can't draw to save my life, mm-hmm. so I like coloring coloring books, adult coloring books, or I have this app called Color by Numbers. Yeah, um, and I'll sit there and play Color by Numbers. Of course, most people with food addictions sometimes have a addictive personality. Mm-hmm. So when you have that addictive personality. It's easier to get addicted to something else, but if you're if you're going out there helping at a place to pass the time, so you're not at home eating, yeah. and you become addicted to that, that can possibly be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where you're turning around saying, "Hey, I'm going to go volunteer at this place, so I'm not home consuming a whole sleeve of Oreos." Right. Um, you see me consume a whole pack of chips of Oreo one sitting. Yeah, <laughs> that's just what it is. Yeah, but that can't happen. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't happen. But when you're down about yourself and you're beat down, you're run down, you're beat down. Sometimes you're not even run down, beat down. You're just doing it because it tastes good. You just like it. It's like someone smoking cigarettes, right? It's not the necessary oh the nicotine. Oh God, we love it. No, it's the fact that you just have something in your fingers. Yeah, it's the motion. It's the it's, it's the fami- uh, familiar. Oh my God, I can't speak. Excuse me. Familiar. Uh, I can't. I can't say it. Familiarity. Thank you. Thank you. I'm having difficulty right now. Oh, but. No, and you're right. It's just that hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. For heavy set people like myself, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to mouth. And we just sometimes. Some people say, "Oh, but you can help it." But I look at food addiction and and eating disorders like I would a drug addict. Yeah. It's that serious because it's almost life or death. For a lot of people, you see these shows, My 600-Pound Life, mm-hmm. um, The 1,000-Pound Sisters, and people sit up there and they laugh at these shows and they, oh, chuckle, chuckle, hearty, ha, ha. It's a big joke. To me, it's not a joke. Right. Because I can, I'm one step away from those people because they might have their own qualms that they're going through in life, but I know what it feels like to eat the way they do. Yeah. And they don't feel good after they do. Trust me, they don't. Because they might say to you do, because who doesn't like food? Yeah. You know, but there are some people that despise food and just decide I have to eat it because I have to survive, but I'm making sure it's coming out of my body. Mm-hmm. And that's where that psychological game gets played. And we can have... You, I guess later can talk more about yes. about that. But I'm talking on the big guy side mm-hmm. right now, guys. And for us big guys and gals um, and people, it's not easy. Right. It's a, it's a journey. Yeah. So I've, um, excuse me, I looked up a few stats. So please excuse me if I'm wrong, but this is just what I'm reading. I'm not a professional. State your source. But it's, oh, this is from, uh, ANAD.org. 
Don't ask me what that is. I don't know what it means. Um, but uh, general eating disorder statistics, uh, one says eating disorders affect at least 9% of the population worldwide, 9% of the U.S. population, or 28.8 million Americas, Americans excuse me, will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. Less than 6% of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight. 28 to 74% of risk for eating disorders is through genetic uh, heritability. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses, second only to opioid overdose. 10,200 deaths each year are the direct result of eating disorders. Mm -hmm. That's one death every 52 minutes. About 26% of people eating disorders, oh, with eating disorders attempt suicide. And the economic cost of eating disorders is $64.7 billion every year. That is insane. And there's actually a lot more on here. Um, one is talking about BIPOC, excuse me, which is uh, black, indigenous, and people of color. Talks about the LGBTQ uh, plus community. They talk about uh, people with disabilities, people in larger bodies, uh, athletics, veterans, children, young adults. I mean, this is actually really interesting. Uh, it it scares me, um, and I can and I can speak about this on a personal level based off of our guest later, and just going through some of the things with her, uh, going to um, to rehabs to see her with my best friend. Um, we were like we <laughs> we caught ourselves a tripod. It was the three of us, um, you know, and just being there for her during everything when she was living in New York and. Just a lot going on. Um, it, 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 it's looking at it from the outside and like knowing what's going on. Because a lot of the times, you know, people want to keep it a secret. You don't want to tell anybody that you're, you know, hurting yourself in that way. Uh, but looking at it from the outside was so difficult, you know, because, you know, uh, you care. All you want is the best for someone. And like I said, she's one of my best friends. And, you know, I didn't want to see her go, you know, um, I won't tell her her story. That's her story to tell. But my thing was to make sure that I was there for my best friend. Um, but it, it truly wasn't easy, easy, excuse me, you know, knowing that I can only talk to her a little while. It's kind of like I don't want to compare it to prison, but it's a rehab. So, of course, there are certain things that you, you know, time, there are time limits. There are certain times where you could use your phone, not use your phone, things like that. So to whoever's listening to this, if you have an eating disorder, whether it's one end of the spectrum or the other, please speak to somebody. Let them know. You know, we say this all the time. You're not alone. There are people who are going through, if not the same exact thing, in extremely similar situations. And there are people here to help you, whether it's professional or not. So that that right there is where it gets difficult. Um, reading some of those stats you know, they said 10,200 deaths each year is the direct result, result of eating disorders, right? We're, we're hip-hop fans. We know that Big Pun, you know, one of his, part of the reason why he did pass on was because of his weight mm -hmm. on a personal level. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Okay, true. But does, 
do you get worried because of what could be heart complications, what could be bodily functions, which, you know, knees, arms, joints, things like that. Like, does that worry you? Um, and if it does, does it take over your mind at times? 100%. Um, my biggest fear is dying um, in my sleep due to a heart attack. Mm. Um, I always tell people that's my biggest fear. I used to be afraid of, still afraid of water, afraid of drowning. But that, um, but that, that doesn't even come close yeah. to I'm worried about my heart. I'm worried about my ligaments. I'm worried about being able to chase my daughter around. Mm-hmm. Worried about climbing stairs and having to get out of breath at a certain point. Now, granted, we all have the ability to change all of these things. Yeah. But it, it, for people that's extremely morbidly obese or um, are extremely overweight, it's hard to just go to the gym and change it. Right. Um, motivation has to happen. Yeah. You have to give. You have to have a give. What's your why? Why do you want to change it? You know, do you not want to? Are you fear of dying? Then that's your why. Yeah. Are you? Do you have a family to live for? Then that's your why. You would. You, first, you got to find your why. That's going to motivate you to keep you keep going. Then you're going to get the right proper pieces in place to help guide you because you can't do it alone. Right. And. I, I'm scared every day. Every day I wake up, man, thank God for another day. Oh, my goodness, thank God. Oh, man, I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, man, yeah. I'm worried about a heart attack. Uh, you got, and I joke around with uh, with you guys all the time, and I say, man, um, I can't eat that. You know, I'm trying to prevent a heart attack. But and, but I'm, I'm being serious when I say that. Yeah, it's yeah. because even though got my heart checked out, thank God, yeah. my heart's good. But... Still, that doesn't mean that things can't happen on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, many of times I've heard people go to the doctor and, oh, they're fine. Next weekend, they're gone. What happened? Yeah. So it's still a possibility. Anything's possible. Do not take your life for granted. You know, um, so if you're listening to this and you have that same fear, stay in tune with your physician. Stay in tune with with your nutrition. Tell your physician what's going on. Yeah, because if you don't, if you're having swelling of the legs, swelling of the feet, you're retaining a lot of water. You're, and I'm not a medical professional, but I can tell you what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna open up my my file real quick and right. tell you the things I'm dealing with as a person that's morbidly obese. Swelling of feet, water retention, hard time losing weight, and when you lose, it goes off fifty, then it goes back up fifty, then it goes. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is equated to something else that's going on within you. But as you put that stress on your body, your your organs start to take an effect. Yes. Your kidneys, your heart, your liver, your lungs. You have to be mindful of that. And I am I'm learning all of this now and taking it in. As you guys know, my, you guys met my brother a couple episodes ago. Yes. Um, real fit guy. Vegan, plant-based, and plant-based human being. The the reason he's the one who told me to continue to keep moving forward. He checks in with me every week. He makes me stay accountable to him, and I need that yeah. because I need to be accountable to someone. Roddy, what you do this week? Roddy, what you eat this week? Yeah. Don't eat no garbage. Don't put no garbage in your body. And he understands that it's hard to mm-hmm. say no to garbage. Yeah, 
and I know it's going to be difficult. And I know sometimes you can't just go cold turkey. Don't be those extremists that stop eating yeah. whatever they eat. I recommend don't do that. Yeah, wane yourself in. Please don't do that. Unless you're the extremist personality that can do that, I'd rather you not because it's gonna, the relapse is going to be harder. Right. And it can do more. You can probably do more damage. Yeah. So just ease your way away from milkshakes. Ease your way away from cheese if it's a cheese problem, a bread problem, a rice problem. Some people say, I got an everything problem. Well, let's now nah, let's let's get down with a nutritionist and that, let's try that to. That sounds a lot deeper. Yeah, let's let's see what we let's see what we're dealing with here. Like, um, if you're, if alcohol is your issue, if if you're a heavy beer drinker, beer bloats you. It makes your stomach blow up. If if you if you have like I said have a hard time with starch content, protein content, those things, you need to narrow down and you need to start replacing things. That's what I did. Some recommendations: replace. Things with things you like. Yes, big thing. I'm a big. I'm not a big sweets guy, mm. but they're there and they're available. I'm eating it. It's in my face. I'm taking. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm a big gummy bear guy. I'm a big gummy. Facts. I'm a, I love them. I love it. The podcast of of gummy lovers. I, man, oh, lifesavers. Woo boy. <laughs> Barclay Center used to have the sweet shop in there, and I used to go in that candy store, and it's twelve dollars a pound. Jeez. Two bags of candy, just gummy sharks, gummy worms, and think nothing of it. Yeah. But if you would have told me, Rodney, three years later, you'll be three plus hundred pounds. Yeah, I probably wouldn't put. I probably wouldn't went in that place. Right. You know, and there's some things you just got to cut out your life, but slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything in moderation. Take your time. Get the right guidance. Please get the right guidance. Yeah. Um, that's where, and keep in mind, all weight loss starts in the kitchen. It starts right there at that stove, right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Look, it's going to suck. I'm not going to lie to you. And I've been, when I lost 50 pounds, it stunk. I was eating to survive. I wasn't even eating to like, like it. Right. Nothing worse than egg whites with no salt and broccoli. <sighs> it just, that's it. I'm like... <laughs> Four ounces of protein, that's right. it. Right. Oh, yeah, by the way, you get a shake with that. So the shake's going to be nice and tasty. Yeah. But I want some food. I want texture. Right. You're not going to, you're going to, you're going to have to understand that that little bit, you're going to have to train your metabolism to do certain things to help you burn. And many trainers, many nutritionists I've been to have all told me the same thing. You're going to have to go through torture a little bit for the first two weeks. Yeah. For sure. Keep on. I always tell people it takes three weeks to build a habit. Mm-hmm. If you can maintain this diet for three weeks, it now becomes natural to you. Your body is used to it. You'll just continue. Yeah. And then you modify. You make it your own. Nobody said you can't have chicken no more. Mm-hmm. You can always go back to have chicken. You can always go back to have steak. Right. But you don't need two steaks. Instead of two, three pieces of chicken, take one and a half. Yeah. Instead of two spoonfuls of rice aroni, you can take a spoonful of rice aroni. Or something like it, it sometimes it's just as simple as going, you know what, I'm gonna grill this instead of fry it. <laughs> Bingo. Sometimes it's really just that simple. Bake it. Yeah. Baking. Yep. I've become a baking connoisseur. Yeah. I used to put everything in the microwave. Now I'm baking everything, George Foreman grilling stuff. Yep. 
You know, <laughs> George Foreman was was the best thing ever, man. Steve Broccoli was. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big balsamic vinegar fan. Steve Broccoli. I'm tell you, teach you a little something real quick. Balsamic vinegar. Balsamic vinegar, bottom of the pot, throw your broccoli in. Let that bad boy steam a little bit. Mm-hmm. When that broccoli gets all nice and tender, ooh, man, that balsamic vinegar seeps into yep. those roots. Yep. Boy, man, I'll and, tell you. And something I want to get across, too, not every diet works for everyone. There is a multitude Absolutely. of different types of diets. hmm if one does not work and you're willing to put in said work, then check out other things. Mm-hmm. So here, right? I, I I can actually speak about losing weight, mm-hmm. right? So pandemic era, there was nothing to do. I mean, granted, my life didn't change because I worked in a medical facility. So I was still going to work every day, coming home, going to work every day. But I realized I had gained, I was over 200 pounds, which was the first time ever in my life. And looking at pictures and then realizing it. And my ex was kind of, she had gained weight also. So it became, okay, what are we going to do? What do we want to do? Do we feel comfortable like this? So we did what I, what we call dirty keto. So it wasn't keto specifically. Mm. And to, to veer off that for a second, my sister is heavy into keto. Like when I tell you, and not to put whole information because I'm not going to do that, but when when she lost a, I can't give you a number, but I know it was a ton of weight. Like it was a lot of weight that she lost, and I couldn't be more prouder than her of her. Like even now, like <laughs> I just bought a, a, I thought I was going to buy like an extra large sweater and freaked out, and you know now she's in mediums and. It's just, you know, she gave me her old shirts to put on, like, just to wear around the house or whatever. You know what I mean? But You out here wearing blouses? They're not blouses. They're shirts. Okay? They're just T-shirts. Check. Just double check. She is not a girly girl. Thank you very much. I'll, All right? I don't know. <laughs> All right? I ain't judging you. Game. You wear, blouses. You want to wear blouses? Um, Go ahead, absolutely not, sir. I wear I button prince. ups. Um, <laughs> but I see you purple rain. But <laughs> purple rain. <laughs> More like chocolate rain. <laughs> but but we did dirty keto and it really worked. Um and I was so happy, especially for her. She lost so and she went and worked out. I didn't, but she went and worked out. She like she lost so much weight and I was I was so proud of her. And I think at the end of the day, that's kind of the mental, you know what I mean? Like everybody wants somebody to be proud of them. But when it comes to losing weight, I feel like there's just a different type of pride with that when it comes to other people and even pride in yourself, you know. But, um, yeah, it's just important. I always wanted to try keto. It's interesting. I'll help you. I, 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 never, I never dabbled in it. I, okay, so I can tell you the super basics of what I remember. So some of the ways to, like, some of the things I remember is to uh, – you know, six cups of veggies, and you could break it down like f- four cups in a shake, mm. or you could put two cups in an omelet. But it's 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 a meal. You know what I'm saying? So you can do it and separate it by meal. So it's not really as much as you might think. You know, um, I believe it was four ounces of meat, and then peanuts. Like starting off, peanuts will hold you over. 
or any type of like like nut or things like that will hold you over. Um cashews, <laughs> things like that. Uh but you know, it, and it was between that and intermittent fasting. So, you know, you 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 start with three meals a day like normal, and then you just start you know pushing it back a little bit. So if you eat breakfast at eight, push it back to nine. When you know once you're used to it, push it back to ten. Then you go from three meals to two meals. Like my sister only does one meal a day, and she's good. You know, That's so how Jason does it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it. it it's all about how you approach it. But even me doing two meals a day and staying on it helped so much. Granted, I didn't work out, but it still helped a lot. And I did lose a lot of weight. Um, so, like I said, there's just ways to approach it. Hey, man. Look, that's excellent. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to look into it. I like the dirty keto. You know. it's, it's Cheat a, Yeah, it's a way to do it. No, but, it's a, but, and plus, they remember, wait, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you remember how you were just talking about sweets. They have, you know, the low sugar or no sugar sweets. Like, um, I think it's called Sweet Smarts, and that's three grams of sugar. That's nothing in comparison to, you know, the videos where they, like, dump the amount of sugar that's in some of these products, and like it's like Arizona. a table full. Like Arizona iced tea. Yeah, you know, um, but it's all about... Taking care of taking care of it right, you know, or approaching it the right way. Mm, absolutely, man. I think that was a great discussion about weight. Yeah, for sure. Um, but let's let's get into some of. All right, so let's talk about the other side. We have one of my best friends on the line. She has done so much in her lifetime. Um, She's a marketing coordinator for an architectural firm in South Florida right now. She teaches college English and has a master's degree in Shakespeare, which I always thought was awesome. Um, excuse me. She <laughs> she loves penguins. Like, I can't tell you the amount of love that this girl has for penguins. I think she made me love penguins more. Um, like, happy feet? All for it. Um, Disney. But the main thing is that she uh, brings domestic uh Domestic abuse awareness, mental health awareness, eating disorder awareness, and she's done so much. I mean, she's, she truly has done so much, and I'm so proud of her. She's also an accomplished author, a published author. Once again, so proud of her. Ladies and gentlemen, Elisa Oppenheim. What up, little one? Hello. <laughs> how, how you feeling? Good. Glad the day's over. Yeah, I hear you. We all got to work, right? <laughs> yep. So, so starting off with the author aspect, I know for a long time you had this book in your head and you had it written down and you just needed somebody to illustrate it. And then two years ago, it was published. The book is called Penelope and Pearl. And um, it, is, it is The Adventures the of The Adventures, you're right. Touche. Touche. The <laughs> Adventures of Penelope and Pearl. And it is a children's book, so everybody can go on Amazon and look it up and buy it. Um, my first question is, what made you decide to write it? Um, so when I was growing up uh, back in Baltimore, I had a friend who was in foster care. And one of the biggest things that she dealt with was feeling like she didn't belong because she was in foster care. And I wanted to write a book about children in foster care that feel that they aren't loved, that feel neglected, or like they 
aren't being chosen because they haven't been adopted or it didn't work out or whatever the case being. And I wanted to show them that that's not the case. I wanted kind of in a way to show my friend that she is loved, that she is special, and that she she's welcome in this world. She, she dealt with a lot of issues. Um, and, of course, like you said, I love penguins. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be a fun twist if it was not only an orphan little girl but an orphan penguin. And the story is that they become best friends. They meet on the side of a lake, and Penelope, the penguin, floats up while Pearl is just wishing for a friend. And they become best friends, and then they get adopted together by a family called the Cherishes, who, just like their name, they do cherish the girls. And they get to go on adventures together. And the first book is really them just getting to know each other and learning what true friendship is. And the next book that will hopefully be out next year is their first real adventure as a family, um, which I'm not going to tell anything else about that because then nobody would have a reason to buy the book. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, man. I'm so once again, I'm so proud of you. Like, I know that was such a such a big thing for you and to to get that story out and to make sure that the animation was right and things like that so once again i'm, I'm so proud of you um yeah. so let's get to the topic at hand so eating yeah. disorders has been a huge part of your life for i don't know how long at this point and i you know as i explained earlier i was with you for for a lot of for a lot of the things that you went through whether it was, you know, you being up here in New York or you being in Florida or England, you know, our communication, once again, best friend, but the communication, you know, I was there for you for a lot of it. And just explaining how important it is to make sure you are there for for people who have these disorders. Um, My question is, so, so, well, let me specify by saying this. You are on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to eating disorders being the uh, I, I'm and I'm sorry. Say it again. The restriction. Yeah, I, there I you restricted go. my meals rather than binge eating or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I, I dealt with anorexia, and it's been about 23 years. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was explaining how you know I didn't want to see you go anywhere. You know, of, of course, craziness, but. I didn't want anything to happen to you. So, of course, I made sure that I was there. And, you know, one of our other really close friends made sure that he was there. And my question to you is, how difficult is it to stay strong while having an eating disorder and also while still dealing with mental health? Um, It is incredibly challenging, especially because with eating disorders, Whether it's binge eating, restriction, bulimia, whatever it is, food is everywhere. So when you have an addiction to either restricting food or not, whatever the issue may be, you have to see food everywhere. It's on commercials. It's on billboards. It's people talk about, you know, that's how you go out with people. You go to brunch. You go to lunch. You go to dinner, whatever it may be. So to have an eating disorder means that you are constantly reminded of your issues and for me because I also suffer from depression and bipolar and anxiety when that happens for me it makes me get to the point where well why am I fighting 
you know, I have to remind myself of the people that I fight for sometimes because there are times where fighting for myself isn't enough. I have to remind myself of my friends like you and our other friends that, you know, went to residential with me mm-hmm. to sit and play cards on the patio. You know, it's, it's it, at times you have to fight for other people because the problem is for some of us is we, we don't care about ourselves. We don't see our worth. We don't see what we deserve. We don't see that we are worth recovery. And in those times, it's very challenging to not only fight, but want to fight. Yeah, definitely. Now, on the as a person, for me, I'm on the heavier side, and I, I explained it on the far beginning half of the show, and I have a food addiction. Um, I know that certain things trigger me to want to overeat and to eat. And I said boredom is always one for me and the availability. What would you say was some of your triggers that you dealt with that would really set things off to make really play with your psyche to make you reject eating? Um, one of my biggest triggers is honestly relationships. Um, I have a history of team dating violence where I was abused by someone who would weigh me and determine what I could eat. And it has taken a very long time for me to realize that the things he restricted from me are okay for me to eat. So, you know, triggers like if some, uh, if someone tells me, you know, you look a little heavy today for me, that means that I'm going to restrict for the next week because there's something wrong with me. I equate weight, whatever it may be, if I've lost weight or gained weight, doesn't matter. I equate weight with worth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, I have friends that are on the heavier side. And for them, I'm like, you are beautiful. You are amazing. Everything about you is fantastic. But then for me, it's like a double standard because when I get triggered by relationships or someone saying something or my, you know, if my mom says, you know, maybe you shouldn't wear that, or if someone I'm dating tells me they're not attracted to me because of my body, which has happened recently, um, that triggers me to start purging or restricting and makes me want to kind of just curl into a ball and never leave the house and stay in my sweatpants where nobody can even see if I have a figure. Um, another trigger would I mean, I developed an eating disorder because of puberty. So, you know, PMSing and all of that stuff causes bloating, which then causes me wanting to restrict to try and counter what my body is naturally doing. Um, But, yeah, no, it's mostly I get impacted by what people say. Or if I see someone who I'm comparing myself to and someone says something to them, about their body then i automatically assume that they're talking about me too yeah and and speaking from experience speaking from you know or i should say experience with you you know there's been times you know we've been on the bus just singing avenue q to 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 make both of us smile and laugh and you know we would just sing disney disney songs and and just to do things just to get out of certain mindsets and mm-hmm. and you know it, i think it speaks volumes that number one you're still here 
you know, you didn't give up on yourself, which which is a constant, which is a constant uh, thing that we mention on this show to not give up on yourself because there is so much to experience and so much to live for, you know, regardless of, of how this world turns, you know. So, number one, yeah. once again, I'm so proud of you, especially when it comes to this, because I'm so happy you're still here. You are so intelligent. And that's not, you know, this isn't just to blow smoke, you know, like you you are <laughs> truly, you know, such an intelligent person. Um, you know, I spoke to Rodney about something that he fears, you know, when it comes to eating disorders. Can you talk about a fear that you have with your particular dis- uh, disorder? Dying. Yeah. I um I actually have a very close friend right now that is, I have two friends actually. I just found out that are dying from their eating disorders. Um, one of my friends, her pancreas is failing. She keeps having heart attacks. She has um an infection in the abscesses in her stomach, and all of it is caused by her eating disorder that she's had about the same time as I have, and. That's something I've been really struggling with lately because, you know, the eating disorder mind and the recovery mind both live inside my head. So my recovery mind is, you know, I'm so sad for her because she's my friend and I don't want to see her die. And I am currently working in therapy to prepare for that because I know it's coming. And but the other side of me that scares me even more is that my eating disorder side says, see, you failed. You didn't do your eating disorder right. She did. Yeah. And that terrifies me that that those thoughts even go through my head because, you know, her and I have the same type of eating disorder and her and I have been through similar traumas. And to have that thought scares me because what if that thought takes over? Yeah. And what if I, you know, go backwards? I, I've gotten almost into a year of recovery. I'm about 10 months in recovery. And every day is still hard. So to have those thoughts of, you know, maybe I have to do it better is terrifying Mm -hmm. because it really can kill you. And I have friends that it has killed, people that I went to treatment with that I spent over a month sitting and crocheting with and talking and telling our deepest, darkest secrets are now gone because of this disease. And I'm very grateful that I'm here, but I'm terrified and I know my family's terrified of what happens for the day that I let Ed back in. Right. And because recovery is not linear. Recovery is not something that's going to be perfect. That's why it's called recovery and not recovered. It's something you struggle with. And, you know, there could come a time where something happens to someone I love or something happens to me and I struggle again. Those thoughts terrify me to the core because those thoughts are, could, could kill me. Powerful stuff there. Um, and when Kyle asked me the question, I uh, I said the same thing, actually. It's actually really scary because I said dying of a heart attack in my sleep is probably the scariest thing to me. Um, just kissing my daughter goodnight and then just never, her never to hear me, hear me talk ever again. Frightens yeah. me. So... It's hard dealing, and I used to sit there and think, man, my disorder is the worst in the world, but there's so many people around me that are going through either the same or the same in a different or opposite direction than I am. 
and they have it worst off. So thank you for just being so transparent and opening your heart and putting it on the table right there. We really appreciate that. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I, I, ha I don't have children, but I know my dad has actually voiced that his biggest fear is him waking up and me not being there in the morning. Yep. Absolutely. And as a parent, you know, you know, like we said earlier, you've seen me at so many different stages of my life. And, you know, yep. I appreciate you for not only being a godmother to my daughter, but but being such an amazing friend to me. And, you know, I, I, I don't I don't know how I would act or how I would be if something happened to you because of this. You know, I mean, I don't know how it act if something happened to you, period. But but for that to be the reason, you know, it, it, it's 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 just so it's so weird talking about it out loud, you know, um, because you don't think about it. Well, I don't think about it often because I'm like, you know what? My people are going to be here no matter what, no matter what issues we can get through it, you know, no matter who the we are, we can get through it. Um, yes. Something else, your love for Shakespeare is is probably one of the deepest I've ever seen personally. And, you know, you, you went to England to, to teach, you went to England to learn, you worked at a, what, what, what was it, Shakespeare's Cottage, right? Shakespeare's Wife's Cottage. Wife's Cottage. They, and I lived across the street from his birthplace. Yeah. So you have done so many things when it comes to Shakespeare's, Shakespeare, excuse me. Um, two questions. One, uh, what is your favorite uh, tragedy? And the second thing is, what is it about Shakespeare and his work that that gravitated to you? Um, so my favorite tragedy is Titus Andronicus. Um, it is probably Shakespeare's most graphic and displays. Um, it was actually banned from most countries for a very long time. Um, and most places do not perform it because it is so difficult to perform. Um, but it's amazing. And I, I teach it to my students and they, then I bring in pies because part of this play is that they cook people into pies. And I think it's funny to bring pies after we do that. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> And I found Shakespeare when I was 13. Um, I was locked in someone's basement. I was being abused and my batterer locked me in the basement and I didn't have anything to do. And so I went to the bookshelf and I found A Midsummer Night's Dream on the bookshelf. No idea why it's there. I don't believe anybody in that house ever read that play, but I read it and it was like an escape it, it, you know reading this play where you go into this forest with fairies and all these people and these crazy things happening you know it took me away from what i was going through and gave me a safe place and that's what shakespeare has always been for me is a safe place you know it doesn't matter if i'm in athens or if i'm in denmark it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if i'm in the forest of arden what matters is that I can leave my situation and leave myself and be somewhere where nothing can hurt me. And what's amazing about Shakespeare is that 
for some other people, it's not an escape. It brings them closer to reality. Mm. And it's amazing that one writer and the same plays, depending on who's reading them, has a totally different impact. And it's just so exciting to actually be able to, you know, when you understand what he's saying, to relate to what he's saying. Yeah. Also, I, I should have asked, what's your favorite comedy also? Um, a Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, okay. Duh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and honestly, the only play that I pretty much dislike is Hamlet. Oh, I think I, it is overrated uh, and too long. Yeah, we, we've, her and I have also had this discussion because I love Hamlet and yeah, breaks my heart a little bit. Um, <laughs> you can condense it by like an hour. No, for sure. You'll get the same effect. No, definitely. It's like, it's like watching, it's like going through the entire Marvel, Marvel movies and being like, uh, this movie's three and a half hours long. I'm not really going to sit here and watch. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I'll go see Hamlet anytime it's on, but doesn't mean that I'm going to enjoy sitting there for three and a half hours right. when I could have been sitting there for two. Right. <laughs> fair. That's fair. No, I'm not the biggest Shakespeare buff, but I've always been intrigued about Shakespeare. Ever since I got in the ninth grade, I had to play Brutus in a play. Yeah, yeah, I had to kill Caesar. Nice. I was I was really upset about it because I don't want to be Brutus. <laughs> I was like, well, I gotta kill a guy. Why? Why? So, oh damn, the connotations. That's crazy. Yeah. I was like, this is this ain't right. The, the, I see why you did this, Miss. Oh, oh god, name. But anyway, <laughs> any anywho, I've always been super intrigued about what was like this. I knew people that was so into Shakespeare, like, oh my god, Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, so what's the big deal? See, like, that's the one I don't like. Romeo and Juliet, not crazy about it. Everybody love a love story, man. Yeah, nah, I'm good. Come on, you like love story? I think I have an I have an issue with it being categorized as a romance. Yeah, because it's not. It's not. I'm sorry, but two people killing each other, two teenagers killing each other over someone they've known for four days, that's not a romance. It's a tragedy for sure. Yeah. It is not a romance. That is not love. She's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just bow out. Listen, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna argue. I have no, I have no leg to stand on. I don't know nothing about Shakespeare. I'm a novice. <laughs> it's like the, but I saw people so crazy. Like they, like in school, it was yeah. like you lost their mind when mm-hmm. we had to do plays and stuff. And I was like, what is the big deal? Like I don't understand. They were like, Rodney Shakespeare is like huge. Like it's especially the theater kids. Yep. Got, oh, forget about it. And then, uh, they sat me down yep. one day and was like. I was like, he wrote more plays than this? <laughs> <laughs> they had books and books of plays. I was like, what? Yep. That's insane. You want to know a crazy fact about Shakespeare? People don't know if he was, if, if that was even his name. So there, there are so many conspiracy theories about it. And I won't get crazy into it, but I think one of the most interesting ones to me is that Shakespeare was a multitude of people. And they put all their collections in one. Yo, I won't get too far into it, but I'm just saying that's so crazy me, to me. Let me get this straight. Because she's heard, right? You've heard that. No, there's there's so many theories. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the theory that it was the queen that he was the queen. Yep. Um, there there are so many theories as to who was William Shakespeare because when the London fire happened, the globe burned down mm-hmm. and 
so did all of Shakespeare's manuscripts of his plays. So there are no manuscripts of any of his plays left because of the fire. So that gives everyone freedom to say that he did not exist. But a man named William Shakespeare lived in Stratford-upon-Avon and was born on April 23, 1564, because we have the records. We know he was married to Anne Hathaway because we have the records. We know he died on April 23, 1616, because we have the records. So whether that is the same person who wrote all these plays, you can theorize all you want. But no, you say no. Shakespeare didn't <laughs> no, exist. No, no, you got to let me do it. You did two questions. Jesus. So you mean to tell me that okay. she, William Shakespeare was married to Mia Thermopolis, Christophe Rinaldi? <laughs> That's what you're telling me? <laughs> That's number she, one. She <laughs> was named for William Shakespeare's wife, whose name was actually Anne Hathaway. And when I worked at Anne Hathaway's cottage, there were so many people that came in thinking that it was that Anne Hathaway's cottage. And they're like, oh my God, is she here? I'm like, I sure hope not. She's been dead for like 400 years. (laughs) And they would get so confused. Like Anne Hathaway's a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) Hey. Listen, but, there's been worse theories. But you guys are sitting here telling me the picture I see with the man with the George Costanza haircut and uh, the ruffles around his neck may not be William Shakespeare. Listen, these are rumors, sir. These are rumors. We don't. Yeah, these know. are these are theories. I personally believe that William Shakespeare wrote those plays. Do I think he wrote them by himself? No, I don't, because. He, you know, there, there are the theories that, like, he wrote Titus Andronicus with one person and wrote um, some of his other plays with other people, and that's fine. But to say that nobody could be as so talented to come up with this many stories, they obviously didn't read Holinshed's Chronicles or Ovid's Metamorphoses because all of these stories are in there. He just made them better. Yeah, for sure. Um, to 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 include Shakespeare with your mental health, mm-hmm. um, outside of the story that you already told about how you got into Shakespeare, throughout the years, how do you think Shakespeare has shaped you to become the woman that you are today? So I have a friend who knows my love for Shakespeare. We met through the Shakespeare program in England, and... He always tells me, don't be a Helena, be a Beatrice. Right. So what that means, Helena is a character in A Midsummer Night's Dream. One of her lines is basically saying, beat me like a spaniel, but just love me. So hit me, abuse me, do whatever you want to me, but just love me. She's a character with zero self-esteem. She does not know how she feels about herself. All she knows is that she loves Demetrius, and that is who she wants to spend her life with, even though he does not love her, he does not want her, he slept with her and used her, and now she's obsessed. Beatrice is from Much Ado About Nothing, and she is a very powerful woman. She is one of Shakespeare's most powerful women, and she stands up for herself, and she is bold, and she is honest, she is honest about herself, and she is fiercely loyal to her family. So my friend always tells me, don't be a Helena, be a Beatrice. And that has had such a great impact on me because when something happens, I'll think to myself, who am I being right now? And because it's Shakespeare, it makes me happy just to be thinking about it. But then it also reminds me that like, I don't want to be Helena. 
I don't want to relate to Helena. And a lot of the time in my life, because of the eating disorder, because of the abusive relationships, mm-hmm. that's who I've related to the most. And it takes a lot of therapy and a lot of time, a lot of close friendships and everything like that to make me a Beatrice. But occasionally I see Beatrice. Not often. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. But Shakespeare just gives me an outlet to, to feel it's, it, you know, besides being an escape is, you know, you just reading it, you can just feel the passion in his writing and to feel that it helps me get out of my bad days. And some days are so hard and I feel like bricks are just laying on my body and I can't move and I can't function. And to be able to have someone turn on you know, Anthony Hopkins in Titus Andronicus or Callista Flockhart in A Midsummer Night's Dream and be able to watch them just, it it helps me, it helps give me kind of a new way of looking at things and to realize that everything's going to be okay, even for just the next moment. And in times when I need to go moment by moment, Shakespeare helps me do that. I have a question. <laughs> but those who are like me, who know nothing about Shakespeare and would like to start learning or start getting into Shakespeare, what do you, which play do you recommend that they read first? A Midsummer Night's Dream for sure. It's, it's light. It's funny. Um, but I would say that for any play that you choose, do not read it. Watch it. Yeah. Gotcha. Shakespeare was meant to be seen. It was meant to be performed. So when you're going to sit and read his type of English, which is not old English, but it's, it's close to it, you're going to be confused. You're going to you're not going to know what's happening. But if you watch it and you see the people interact, you get what they're saying because you're watching it. So my greatest advice to anyone that wants to get into Shakespeare is to watch it. Go see a show, watch one of the, fil- the films, watch one of the TV shows that they have, but make sure that you're listening and watching because that will truly teach you Shakespeare rather than what people do in schools, which is read Act 1 and I'm going to give you a quiz. Mm-hmm. That's not how Shakespeare is meant to be seen. That's not how Shakespeare is meant to be taught. Shakespeare is a playwright and plays are meant to be seen. Fair. I like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess, I guess my last question would be: So, when it comes to eating disorders, what is the message that you want to send out to people? And 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 before we even go into that, please understand that once again, you are not alone. Every there are people that are going through the same thing with you guys. You know, once and Ronnie said it earlier, if not, if not the same, then similar. Um, mm-hmm. So please, people, please remember that you're not alone. There's always somebody to call, always someone to talk to. Um, but Ali, what's the uh, what's the message that you would like to give out to somebody going through an eating disorder? You are enough and you are worthy because I know for me, those are the two things that I struggle with the most. And to feel 
unworthy of recovery and to feel like you don't deserve to be healthy. And also, like you said, to feel alone is so painful. And it's so important for people to understand it does not matter what your body looks like. It does not matter the number on the scale. If you have a scale, throw it out. It does not matter what's on there. What matters is who you are as a person. Be a good person, do good things, and that's what will matter in life because the person who's going to love you the most should be you. And the person that you choose to spend your life with should love you for who you are, not for what you look like. Yeah, definitely. Man, powerful, powerful. Allie, thank you so much for being on the show and speaking and being so open about this. I know sometimes it's difficult, especially when you're going through it personally. But I'm so happy that you agreed to come on the show and speak about it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. I mean, it's National Eating Disorder Awareness Week right now. So it's it's a good time to talk about it. (laughs) Right. So I love you so much. I can't wait to see you. Um, Oh, where can they find you on the socials? Um, Instagram. Uh, My Instagram, I think, is Ms. Shakespeare. 20 i think i just changed it yep (laughs) but i know it's miss shakespeare something um and yeah i'm on instagram um and all of my books can be found on um barnes and noble or amazon and there's four of them the adventures i got one getting dropped off in my house on saturday so i'm very excited to read it to my two-year-old it's gonna be fun (laughs) definitely definitely uh hey rod Tell them where you, they can find you, sir. Well, they can find me at Rod Rod Binks on Twitter and Rod underscore Rod underscore Binks on Instagram. And on top of that, if you ever want to tune into our wrestling podcast, it's Behind the Barricade. And I am super excited about the comeback yeah. that we're going to have. And it's the bounce back is going to happen. So we're very, very happy about that. So the Instagram for that is Behind the Barricade 1. But you can also find us at Behind the Barricade 1 on Twitter. And Behind the Barricades on Facebook. Yes, sir. And and their newest episode comes out next Monday. Yeah, it'll be next Monday. 27th. And there might be a special feature tonight. So oh, snap. tune in. Check it out. Make sure you check that out. <laughs> uh, you can find me at MrMarvel87, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can find the Four Corners of Commentary every Thursday night at 8.30. And, ooh, excuse me. At the, at the burp on the inside. It's crazy. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, at the Council of Commentary. You can find us on Twitter at CO Commentary. And you can find us on TikTok at Council of Commentary. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, how did I even forget us? At ADA Pod 2023 on Twitter and Instagram. And we will be doing a mailbag episode, so you can either DM us on there or you can email us, adapod2023 at gmail.com. Allie, thank you so much again. Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Rod, hit him with it, man. Allie, thank you so much. We really appreciate you, folks. If you're looking for a different angle, we're the guys that give it to you. It's been a different angle.